As we get ready for this morning's message, I want to invite up Mark Larson to join me here at the pulpit. So Mark, would you please come forward? And I just want to tell you guys, when I had to go to Illinois at the end of August, um, I really felt like the Lord put Mark on my heart to come and share in that series we were in and bring the message from the pulpit. And I just want to tell you guys, Mark did an excellent job. Do you agree with that? Oh, come on, folks. <laughs> my, I'll just tell you, my phone was lighting up. And they're like, Russ, if you ever need another break, you get a hold of Mark Larson, okay? And so at that point, he's going to join us here for this gospel series, kicking off the book of Mark. And so you'll notice the verse cards that you were given this week and the reading that's going to take place this week. But the verse cards that were given to you last week was Jesus' words that he has come for those who are sick and are in need of a healer. And that's what we're going to walk through today. And so would you join me as I pray for Mark before we get into God's word together. And I'm also going to pray for our children's ministry in the back there. Father, thank you so much for this day and this time together to sit around your word and to grow together in the Lord. And Father, thank you for the message that you've placed upon Mark's heart to share. Thank you for him joining us for this and standing here at this pulpit bringing your word. And I pray for a special anointing upon him, Lord. Use him. Use his words, his lips, his heart in delivering this message to us today. And may our hearts be ready to receive. And Lord, we pray for a blessing upon those kids as they're also getting into your word and growing. And we pray for a special blessing on all those who are serving in that area. And we thank you for this time, Lord. Use this to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you, Russ. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, glad to be back with you. And I just, uh, all right, so, yeah, as Russ said, as a church, we're working our way through the Gospels, these four accounts, these four stories of Jesus' life. Um, this week, taking a chapter each day, we would have read the last four chapters of Matthew, and now we're getting into the book of Mark. And so we're, we're going to talk about, you know, Mark 2, but before we get to that, I didn't want to waste the opportunity to talk to you about this gospel, this specific account of Jesus' life, the book of Mark, which should clear one thing up right away. I was not named after Mark. So very different, you know, well, just uh, not an association there. But um, yeah, as a gospel, it is a really cool book. All right. So if you want to just take a look here, the, um, some pretty unique things about it is... It's like the, uh, a lot of people have thought of it as like Peter's gospel, almost. So this person, Mark, in the Bible is described by like the early church fathers, uh, Papias, Irenaeus, um, as like the interpreter for Peter. And so, you know, Mark may um, not have been like a direct follower there all the time or a disciple with Jesus, but he had the privilege of writing down um, Peter's account of following Jesus. And so that's just a quick thing. It's like, yep, it's uh, credited to Mark, um, but we get this information from the early church fathers that he was following Peter and writing his words down. Um, the primary audience for the book of Mark uh, is believed to be Romans, like they say that the book was written in Italy. Um, 
It's got these interesting characteristics, like Mark takes the time to explain all these different Jewish customs to his audience in this book. He takes time to explain like these Aramaic words, and he leaves out genealogies. So if that's like something that you don't really want to wrestle through or work through, it's a really important piece of literature for a Jewish audience. Like those are their people. And in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, and in the gospel of Luke, they take time to address that, but not so much in Mark. He's not really writing, they believe, to a Jewish audience. Um, so he skips something like that. There's this interesting reference at the end of the book to this dude named Rufus. Um, there's this man, Simon of Cyrene, helps Jesus carry the cross. I mean, that's a little bit more of a well-known story. Um, but they say Mark makes mention of Simon and says, oh yeah, that's uh, Rufus's dad. So it's like, who's Rufus? You know, is, is that like important? Should I be knowing who Rufus is? Well, Rufus gets brought up again in the letter to the Romans by Paul as like this important figure at the end, like, hey, make sure you say hi to this guy. So they're pretty sure that that mention makes it a pretty strong tie to that this was a gospel tailored towards the Romans. Um, some other interesting things as you are reading through the book of Mark the next couple weeks is that it is a really fast-paced book. Um, the word immediately, if you've noticed in the first two chapters, is used you know, a couple dozen times. It's used over 40 times in the whole book. And then the word and is, I, I did not take the time to count this, but you know, a couple places I looked, depending on the version, you'll get the word and somewhere between like, 1,200 and 1,300 times, just all these sentences saying, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's almost like you're getting pulled along through this book. So my encouragement as you're reading through Mark over the next couple weeks is not to you know, speed through it as quickly um, as, as the story might pull you through. It is a short gospel, um, but take some time with it. Uh, last thing is it's a very action-packed gospel. Mark does not take a lot of time to go into details about little things. It's like we are keeping up with the action. It's not going to bore you. We're going to get in from one interesting story about Jesus to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. All right? Now, with that, we get to see a really cool picture of Jesus in here. Not one that's hidden from the other Gospels, but Mark takes some time to highlight them. Um, he highlights in his stories some very human characteristics about Jesus, um, we get to see in the Gospel of Mark Jesus being hungry, um, thirsty, you know, uh, all these human things that we suffer with, but then we see Jesus' miracles highlighted in this book. And so I just want to put those things out there as a unique thing about the book of Mark before we get into the message. But uh, let's do that here. Um, I'm going to be talking to you from Mark chapter 2 starting in verse 13 and going through verse 17. Uh, it's called The Call of Levi. And as the message you've already heard is titled, uh, Jesus Calls the Sick. Um, this is, uh, <laughs> I was thinking like, oh great, okay, so the sick. Like, there are a lot of stories I could share about, you know, sickness as sort of an opening to this, none of which, you know, I'd be too uh, thrilled to share from the, uh, from the pulpit, you know, you don't want to share too many sick stories. So I was trying to think of it as like, is there a way I can open this up with a fun story about you know, just not feeling well? And uh, Wednesday morning at about 
I woke up with food poisoning. So it was not necessarily the answer to prayer I was looking for. I'm not taking it as an answer to prayer, but I did not feel well this week. Um, but let's, uh, let's read this here. So if you're in Matthew, or Mark chapter 2, verse 13, um, let's take a look there. All right, so he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so I want to just take this first portion of the message here and spend some time looking at what is this saying? You know, what do we find in this short little five-verse account of this story of Jesus calling Levi and this meal that takes this meal that takes place. And so, first question is, who's Levi? All right. Um, Levi is better known as Matthew in the Gospels. The book of Mark and the book of Luke have this story in it, and they both address this same story and give him the name Levi. But this same story is also found in the book of Matthew. All right. And Matthew, this is him talking about himself. He just uses his name outright. Like, Jesus called Matthew here. All right? It's interesting because in Mark and in Luke, the gospel writers in those books, they address him as Levi when he was a tax collector before following Jesus. Um, and then Matthew after that point, after he started following. Matthew does not shy away from that. He'll use his name that he's better known by, Matthew, in accordance and, and sort of in connection with that concept of tax collector. So Matthew doesn't shy away from his name. He doesn't say, yeah, I was Levi then and Matthew now. Um, but this is Matthew, the disciple that we're talking about that he calls here. Um, he was a tax collector. That's something that uh, the... <clears throat> Okay, so those of you that have thought about this before, that, you know, this idea of Jesus calling a tax collector, um, the Romans in this time, the way that this worked is a Jewish man could buy a franchise with the Roman Empire, and they could tax, you know, their own people. And this was sort of a big affront to the Jews at this time. Because um, not only was the Roman Empire like an oppressive empire, um, but they were using the Jews' very own people to tax them. And so the Jews sort of served as this living symbol among them of Roman occupation. All right? And the tax rates that all these different things that people got taxed on by their very own people, um, they, uh, they had a certain rate. But in order to pay themselves, they taxed above that. And so extortion was something that was really common for these tax collectors. And 
as a result, these people are not well liked, okay? Jesus is calling, if you did not realize this before this point, Jesus is calling a social and religious outcast, all right? This is not someone who's popular. Um, but why does Jesus call him? All right, so looking at uh, that point where Jesus says to him in his tax booth as he's working there, follow me, I find that very significant and characteristic of Jesus. Um, I don't think Jesus is calling Matthew because um, he's a tax collector or he may have gotten wealthy with this job, um, but because Matthew knows his need, all right, for the gospel. I want to take a look at uh, the Beatitudes that are found in Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 5. The... Um, Something that we see is, like I wanted to tell you, Jesus is not necessarily calling Matthew just because um, he's maybe made it financially, all right? Um, you don't have to experience success to be called by Jesus. I mean, look at what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes here. This is who the kingdom of God is for. This is the people that realize they need Jesus. All right, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, there was something, I believe, going on in Matthew's mind that he recognized he had a need for Jesus. I think the most difficult like, point or the most difficult um, mindset to have in coming to Jesus is one that you think you've got it all together or that you've made it. That could have been a point that uh, Matthew had reached. It's like, yeah, I've got wealth, I've got security, um, but Matthew knew that he needed Christ, all right? These, these are the people that will do what Matthew is about to do. The sick, like Matthew was, left it. He recognized his need for Jesus. He recognized that he was sick. And if you look at Matthew's response to Jesus calling him, it says, and he got up and he followed him. So the uh, next portion that we have here in Scripture is uh, this little meal going down at Levi's house. And so uh, Luke made a little bit more of a reference to this. It says, Levi prepared this great meal. He made it a little bit more of a party. Um, but Mark just says, you know, they're all just sitting there at the table. And what we get to see here is this fellowship of these two very different groups. So take a look, closer look. Who's here at this party? Um, we've got the tax collectors and sinners, these social, religious outcasts. And Jesus is there. Um, but what you see at the end of verse 15 is uh, they're reclining at table with Jesus um, and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So get in your mind, this isn't just Jesus and all these people who've been rejected by society. This is Jesus and his followers. We have this, this blending, this fellowship, this um, almost what was viewed as like acceptance uh, of these two communities, all right? And it gets to be this really cool thing that we'll look at here soon, what's happening here. Um, but we have some people that don't approve of this, all right? The next little section coming up here is we have some people who see this, we see what's going on, and not okay with it. Um, we've got the Pharisees and the scribes. 
they come and they see what's going on. And up to this point, understand all the different gospel accounts have uh, shared very little prior to this point between Jesus and the Pharisees. Okay, Jesus is starting to get more popular in, all, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They talk about Jesus is getting popular up to this point. Um, he's healed a leper, and there is like rumors of that. You know, Jesus told the leper to like, you know, keep it quiet. Um, but he goes and tells everyone anyway. So there's these rumors of him healing a leper. There's, um, Jesus is known for casting out demons. But really the big primary interaction between him and Pharisees brought up to this point is that Jesus had this interaction with a paralytic, all right? And he doesn't necessarily, right off the bat, say, like, you're healed, get up and walk. What does Jesus say to the person who can't walk? I mean, he wants that healing, but his very first thing that he says to them is, your sins are forgiven. And this is this crazy idea for the Pharisees, and they, like, call him out as a blasphemer. They're frustrated with him. They do not like that. And then to back that up, Jesus says, all right, what's crazier, to say your sins are forgiven or, or get up and walk? And he heals them. And so up to this point, between the Pharisees and Jesus, um, I think Jesus is under the microscope. Whether they're just still trying to figure out who this guy is, what he's about, um, or find fault with him, Jesus is under the microscope with these Pharisees, and so what they come and what they see at this party is uh, Jesus gives them something to talk about, okay? He is eating with these social outcasts. If you are a religious leader, um, if you are gaining popularity as Jesus is, as someone who is teaching about God, this is a pretty big, at this point, cultural no-no that Jesus would be at this party. And so... They, uh, they take kind of a, an offense to this, and they ask the disciples, Jesus' disciples, like, what is going on here? Why is he eating with these sinners? And uh, Jesus' response to this is the next piece that I want us to look at. Um, all right, so take a look at verse 17. Jesus hears the Pharisees' complaint here. And he says, uh, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, church family, what I think Jesus does, the most significant thing he does here, is he makes a connection um, to sickness. He, he points out our greatest sickness and shows us that it is sin. Our greatest ailment is not physical. Our greatest ailment is not something that can kill our physical body. It is something that can as we see later in scripture, you know, destroy the body and soul. And that is sin. And so look at how he worded this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He makes a contrast here. The, the well and the righteous, all right? Those who are feeling healthy and the righteous as contrasted to the sick and sinners. You know, all right, you see the contrast there. And maybe for a split second, we could look at something like this and think, oh, so there are two different groups of people. There are those that are actually spiritually healthy um, that Jesus is addressing here, and there are those that are sick. But this is where I want us to start thinking about um, the application of this and ask you, what is your identity or how do you identify with 
Jesus' statement here. Um, can we get the whiteboard? It's all right. <laughs> I asked Russ very last minute for a whiteboard. I was like, oh, I, I think I'm going to need a whiteboard here. Um, those of you who know me, I love whiteboards, and so this is like the most exciting thing. I've never gotten to use a, a whiteboard this big. I went to school to be a teacher. Um, I love these things. These, these are great tools right here. So, thank you. When Jesus is talking about the righteous and the sick here, how do you identify with that statement? That is probably the most important question I can ask you this morning in order to apply anything that we've looked at with this interaction with Levi, with these tax collectors, these sinners. I want you to be thinking, how do I view Jesus' statement here that he's come to call not the righteous, but the sick? Okay? Now, we've got um, different teachings, like in uh, Romans 3.23, um, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, you could think for maybe half a second that there are people that are actually righteous, that Jesus has not come to call, but what I really think he's pointing out here is the Pharisees. And a lot of you have probably grappled with this before, and that's really cool, um, but that idea that, you know, he's sort of just kind of maybe making fun of them a little bit, like, ah, you know, you think you're well, but you're not, okay? When we come to Christ, and this is what I need this whiteboard for, when we come to Christ, I think that is maybe the very first time, um, just as seen as in the, in the Beatitudes, that we recognize a need for Christ, that we recognize that righteousness, that, that any chance at salvation, that any chance of being reunited with God is not something that we can get on our own righteousness. This is not something that we can earn, not something that we can adopt, not something we can purchase. There, by ourselves, we're relative, we are hopeless. We are hopeless. There is this division at the point that we start to understand that we are sick. It's coming from this understanding that there is a difference between us and God. All right? So, Live in your life, if you can all see up here, big old whiteboard, live in your life, there comes a point where you realize there is a gap between you and God. And so I'm going to be drawing some lines here. You've probably seen this. I want to give it this uh, credit where credit's due, um, although I don't know exactly who to credit with this. I've seen this in a book called The Cross-Centered Life. I know Campus Crusade for Christ uses this a lot, and I've seen it a hundred other places. So I'll at least tell you this much. This is not my creation, but it's a very helpful tool. So the point at which we start following Christ, there is an understanding that there is a difference between me and God. And so what these arrows represent here, this upward arrow and this downward arrow, is this is an increasing realization, key word, realization, an increasing realization of God's holiness. This does not mean that God is getting more holy. All right, please don't misunderstand me. This does, if you ever get the chance, read one of my favorite books. Um, 
uh, A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy, you'll realize like God's holiness is not something that we can even begin to scratch how big it is. But as we walk with Christ, we get this ever-increasing awareness of just how holy and big he is. That's this upward arrow. You see that? This downward arrow, I want you to see that this is an increasing awareness of just how sinful I am. Just how much I am unable to save myself. And as we go through, um, as we go through our walk with Christ, these two things keep growing. As you learn um, what's in this book right here, I mean, that, this is full of like just how holy God is and just how much I am not worthy of him. And uh, I wanted to point out a couple quick little things, um, just reflections from Paul's life that make a really cool teaching point out of this. Um, you don't have to go there, uh, but I'm gonna hit three different spots in scripture here. All of these are Paul's letters to these different churches in the early church. So the very first one is really early in his ministry. It's 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 9. And it goes like this, all right? Listen for the key words about Paul talking about himself in all of these. All right, last of all, as to one untimely born, he, meaning Jesus, appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Paul identifies himself as the least of the what group? The apostles. Right, which is a, a pretty, you know, important group of people in the church. But Paul, you know, he's kind of humble. He's like, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm going to fast forward roughly about, they guess, maybe five years um, in another letter that Paul writes. Maybe five years has gone by. He's writing the letter to the Ephesians. And we see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, listen for the key words about how Paul identifies himself. All right. Um, yeah, chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints. What's different between this statement and the previous statement? Five years earlier, he said, I'm the least of this pretty high up group. I'm, I'm just the least of the apostles. Later in life, he's going through life, uh, he's recognizing, I'm, I'm the least of, well, the saints, okay? I am the least of all of God's saved people. Let's fast forward what they are guessing about another five years into Paul's ministry. We, we come to 1 Timothy chapter 1, um, and this is verse uh, 15 I'm starting in. Listen for how Paul identifies himself. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Earlier in his ministry, he's saying, well, I'm the least of the apostles. Later, I am the least of all of God's saved people. In one of his very last letters, um, he's putting it out there like it is. Like, I've come to this point in my walk with Jesus, and I am realizing that I am the greatest of just sinners. All right? 
How do we identify with this statement in Mark chapter 2 that Jesus is using to respond to the Pharisees, I have come to call the sick? Is that something that we think of as just like, oh, that was me before I had Jesus and I'm not sick anymore, like I don't have this need for Christ? And I don't want to leave you with this feeling of like, oh, great, so I'm sick, you know, and I'll never not be sick. This is not the complete picture here, people. Yes, as we walk through life, we gain an understanding of how holy Christ is, it's how holy God is, um, and how great our need is, and how devastating and serious our sin becomes. But take another look at that First Timothy passage. I'm going to go back just a little bit here and uh, look at verse 12. I thank him who has given me grace, or who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer and persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. We're going to come back to that in a second. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Back to verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is where he's talking like he is the greatest of sinners. But what's right after that? But I received mercy. For this reason that in me as the foremost of sinners... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those, who are, um, to those who believe in him for eternal life. The king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be, holy, or be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. So I don't want to leave you with this idea that you read this and, and you see Jesus' words, um, that he has come to save the sick and just say like, okay, great. I'm sick. It's like, yes, we are, okay? Paul, even towards the end of his life, is not able to escape that fact. None of us are able to escape that fact that we are sick, and we see it even more as we understand a holy God is. But we received mercy. Have your focus on what connects that. It is because Jesus died that there is life in spite of our difference and opposition to God. That is what the cross represents, is a connection between those two. And yeah, the more we realize how big that gap is, just the more amazing and like huge just this picture of the cross becomes. And so what does that do for our perspective? And I, I need to start wrapping up here, people. I'm sorry. Um, what does that do for our perspective? I want us to start working our way backwards through the call of Levi here, all right? So if, if we recognize our own need and our own sickness in life, and that puts our focus on just how big the cross is actually becoming, what does that do to our focus then for others? Um, and this is where I want us to think about uh, this meal here. I love this meal that Matthew is having with his friends, with this group of these tax collectors and sinners, and that fellowship between them and Jesus and his disciples. Um, if we recognize 
just how gracious a gift that cross is. How easy are we to either hide that and keep it to ourselves or extend it to others? I mean, this is an awesome picture. This meal right here, this is an awesome picture of evangelism and what I think we can be doing when we go back out to Pocahontas and to Palmer and to Rockwell City and to Manson. I mean, yeah, I am so happy to be here and that we get to talk about God's word. But what happens after this is like where this stuff really gets, the rubber gets to meet the road. We get to do what is happening here. This is not just a story of this one guy who one time came to Christ, and that's cool. No, this is a really great picture of the same kind of fellowship that we can have with those who need Jesus today. That blending of those two communities, I think it is so easy for us, as opposed as the Pharisees were to Jesus, I think it is far too easy for us to have that same inward focus and that same righteousness mindset um, that I can't associate with other people, you know, who don't believe what I believe, um, or I can't associate with those that I am just super opposed to. So the challenge I want to give you all today is to intentionally think of who are the people that, um, well, a couple people. Uh, let's start with just some of the easy ones. Who are the people that are on your mind and heart that need Jesus? And you've known it for a while. I mean, this might be a neighbor, this might be a coworker. Who are those people and what does it look like for you to fellowship with them? I'm going to be quiet so you can think, like, who are those people? Let's get a little bit more challenging here. Um, Matthew was a tax collector. He was a social outcast. Who are the people that are so different from you? All right? Who are the people that they have nothing in common with you? Uh, maybe a great little uh, cue to ask yourself is, like, who are the people that just annoy me? Like, who are the people that I can't stand to be around? Um, and what does it look like for God to change your heart to the point where it's like, yeah, I can get over my frustrations with other people for the sake of bringing them the gospel? Because that is actually a really cool opportunity um, for you to demonstrate God's power at work within you. No one is surprised when we get together with a neighbor or someone that we get along with, okay, or that we could be friends with. No, that doesn't surprise anyone. But show me the small groups and show me the meetings and show me the gatherings that shock us where God's people are working together to come and just fellowship with those that are annoying, those that maybe don't make sense to us, those that um, just have maybe nothing in common. And people... There are so many, if not just people, that there's no one to listen to them. We don't have to just eat with others in order to apply this. I mean, how many people are there in our communities that you can make a short list in your mind right now that just needs someone to listen to them? And it might not be easy to listen to them. But that is just a super easy way to demonstrate God's work within us. When we take his grace that he's shown us, because how different are we from God? And we can go to those that are really different from us and just listen to them. Who are the broken people in our lives? Who are the sick? All right, if you have experienced the healing that Jesus brings, 
like roll up your sleeves and let's take that same healing to those that are sick and different from us, all right? Um, promise we're almost done here. Uh, we were just in the book of James as a church. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 22. Um, that's that section that's maybe familiar to a lot of us about don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. A quick little cue I like to give myself when I'm studying God's word is don't overeat. All right? All right, when you eat food, um, or like if you're an athlete or something, or, or just, you know, if you're a human being, food serves all sorts of purposes. It's got all these great applications, you know, community, enjoyment. Uh, but, you know, a big one is just at the baseline. It's fuel, all right? It's meant to get you through your day, give you energy. Um, and the more you gorge on it, it, it makes you slow. Um, I try not to overeat God's word, okay? I try not to just get so self-absorbed in all these Bible studies and studying God's word and hearing Pastor Russ preach and all of these things and just keep building it up and building it up and building it up. And what am I doing with it? What am I doing with it? I, I don't want to overeat. I don't want to take in so much of God's word and not use any of it in my day-to-day -day life. All right? So uh, we could preach a lot of different sermons on evangelism um, and teach a lot of different points on that right now, and I think that's good in time. But for now, don't overthink it. Don't overeat. Like, just use what you have today. You know, from what we learned from this little call of Levi today to make a difference in Rockwell City and Manson and Palmer and Pocahontas this week. Finally, um, just take a look at the very beginning of this call of Levi. Uh, we've got something that I just think is so cool that Levi did, this picture he gave us is he burned a bridge with his past life when he came and recognized that he was sick, all right? It just says that he just got up and left. I mean, any film you see that where someone just ups and leaves their job, that's a pretty significant statement. I'm pretty sure the book of Mark was written before any movie I've seen, um, but I get what that picture looks like, just how significant that is when someone ups and leaves. For those of us that have been walking with Christ a while, okay, um, I don't think that that's a, a mute point, all right? I think there are still things that Jesus points out in my life today that I need to burn a bridge with and irrevocably, like, leave behind, you know, as, and it's a gracious thing, too, okay, that God doesn't reveal all of my sin at once, you know, that God doesn't show us everything we need to work on the moment we come to salvation. As you're going through time, there are things that I think Jesus is going to show us that we consistently need to leave behind. So that's a small question for those of you that have been walking with Christ for a while. But the very last thing I want to ask um, and take an opportunity or a chance to, to put out there with this is um, there are some of, some of us that we might not be walking with Christ up to this point. I mean, the story of Levi up and leaving everything might be something that's so fresh right now because, I mean, whether it's online, um, whether it's you're new in this room or, or you just are figuring out this Jesus person for the first time, um, the call of Levi is this beautiful application of taking everything that's happened in our past and severing you know, that life of sin to follow Jesus right now, recognizing that we are sick. You know, whether we've 
maybe according to the world standards, been successful like Matthew, you know, had a great job and made a lot of money, or um, like the Beatitudes point out, uh, we just are broken people. If, if you are a broken person and you recognize your needs for your need for Jesus's uh, saving work in your life today, like please respond to that today. Don't sit on that for a long time. Um, find someone today. Find someone in this church if you're online. Like find someone who can help you start to walk through this journey of what does it look like to do what Matthew did and leave behind a life of sin and follow him. So um, thank you for letting me walk through this call of Levi. Uh, I'm just gonna pray that as you go back into your communities, um, that we get to see fellowship with other people. Like, I really wanna stress this. Please just take one person this week and try to find, like, what does it look like to eat with them, run with them? That's what I really wanna pray for you today. Um, and also a little prayer over as you keep reading through Mark that God would be revealing you know, his word to you, his truth, and uh, that that would be something that keeps changing us. Um, Lord, I thank you for your word. Um, I'm just so grateful for, uh, to be with a body of believers that knows our need for you. Um, Lord, as long as we are here together, I pray that you would be building a, a bond and a fellowship here among this church of people that recognize that we are still sinners today, um, but your grace is just ever more present and, and bigger, and the cross is meaning more to us today than it did when we first um, accepted it. Lord, I ask for uh, those in our communities, those um, that we love or those that we just know uh, don't have um, that working in their life, those that don't live in the freedom of the cross of, uh, of your gospel. Lord, I pray that that's something that we could, um, oh, that we could take to ours, uh, our friends when we go back home, um, our neighbors, uh, or Lord, whoever you put on our hearts. We love you, Lord, and pray your blessing over this week. Amen.